Greetings and welcome back to Intersections. I have a really special leader, friend, and human being with us today in Feroz. Let me introduce to you with great pleasure, Feroz. So Feroz heads the Academy of Engineering at SAP, a critical role that he's taken on in the last several months. He is award-winning in many regards, an inspiring leader in many regards, a philanthropist and an author. So he wears a number of great hats. He got his bachelor's of technology in computer science and engineering from the National Institute of Technology in India. He has been part of the Young Global Leaders Program at Harvard and at SAP. He was one of the youngest chief executives of a global multinational in India for them. He was heading SAP Labs, which got ranked as the one of the great places to work, you know, for the first time under his stewardship. He has been doing a number of other things also in order to continue to kind of contribute to the advancement of humanity. He is a chairperson at an institute here in the United States which is a non-profit helping people with autism and other disabilities, Special Listerine. He is the founder of the India Inclusion Summit, a you know, non-profit that is focused on bringing inclusion to the forefront of India. He guest lectures often in my class and leaves students extremely wiser and more inspired. He has created an autism at work program at SAP, which employs over 175 individuals across the autism spectrum across the world at SAP and 90% of them have been retained over time. And it's also been adapted and adopted by 150 companies beyond SAP as well. This has been translated into a case study at Harvard Business School. Um, his work has gained acclaim and recognition, and he's been gaining invitations to go and shape the thinking of world leaders across a range of different other organizations and through a range of leading media, including the World Economic Forum. He is much decorated as a social impact leader, and he has also sought to always stay at the cutting edge of science, bringing in new disciplines like neurodiversity and also embracing some of the modern movements like inclusion into his own work as well. Finally, in his thought leadership, he's been very inspirational. He's written a few really powerful, evocative, story-rich books that I encourage any of us to read if you want to really understand and explore the highest potentialities in the human condition, even when we are otherwise beaten up you know, by life. And he's also an active voice in the media so that you can find his articles on a you know, regular basis, offering fresh wisdom and insights based on what's going on in the world. And so with that background, it is a joy for me to introduce in our midst, Feroz. Feroz, warm welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, Professor Itinda, it's, it's always a joy uh, having this conversation with you. And I must confess, that was a very eloquent introduction. You know, I always get embarrassed because I always feel introductions are pretty one-sided. Right? They only talk about the good things. And, and I must confess, uh, a lot of things that I've done are not necessarily as good as it sounds, but uh, I, I really appreciate your uh, fantastic introduction. Thank you so much. I'm uh, grateful for that. Um, yeah, just spontaneous expression of such uh, sweet humility. Uh, you know, Feroz. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll share one thing. I mean, you know, one of our in, you know illustrious alums at Columbia Business School, Warren Buffett. You know, one of my students shared the story with me that he once said. He said, um, you know, I like to follow the 10% rule. And that is that whoever I meet, I know that 10% of that person is truly inspiring. And Thank so for me, it's a process of discovery. Life is like yeah. this puzzle. It keeps yeah. throwing me in front of certain people. And now yeah. I want to discover what that 10% is. Well, in your case, Feroz, I, yeah. you know, I know you enough to know that that 10% is at the minimum at least 80%, 90%. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe it probably is 100%. But if you're being humble enough to say there are a few things um, 
you know, beyond this bio that I've shared, then uh, I'm sure that's in the small minority of all that who you are. So it's, it's beautiful you. to have you here. And um, what I thought maybe we can do is start with um, introducing a little bit of your work as a leader at SAP yeah. and then move from leadership to life and leadership. So to that end, Feroz, if that's okay with you, yeah. can I turn to a moment, seminal moment in your career at SAP, where, what were you at that time? 32, yeah. 33, yeah. and you yeah. get this outreach from the yeah. executive board at SAP asking you for something. What was that? Yeah, I mean, I may have to rewind a little bit. You know, you're taking me back memory lane. So this was in 2010 uh, when I get a call from the executive board. They asked me to fly down to Germany. And, you know, I'm having this conversation with the board member. And he says, Feroz, uh, you know, we, we do have some challenge at SEP Labs in Bangalore and in India. And, you know, we want you to take this up and, you know, fix this issue and resolve this is as quickly as possible. So in many ways, that call was a, was a defining moment for me in my career. Firstly, I was pretty young. I hadn't realized that I could be ready to take such a big step in my career. So when, when the executive board member asked me to take up this challenge, it was a little overwhelming, uh, not realizing that whether I could pull this off. So that was a huge moment for me from a career point of view. And uh, what was it that they asked you to take on, which was so imposing? So, you know, just to give you a context, uh, SAP Labs uh, is one of the second largest R&D hubs of SAP worldwide. You know, SAP is a German multinational and SAP Labs India was the second largest R&D hub with more than 5,000 employees in India across at that time, Gurgaon and in Bangalore. And we realized the board felt that there were three major issues we were fighting at that time. The first was we had seen a massive decline in employee engagement, which was a very important metric for the company. You know, we do this annual employee survey, uh, goes through many number of questions, and we found that there was a dramatic decline of almost 13 percentage points in the engagement of the overall employees. The second thing we realized is that, you know, our attrition rates were at an all-time high. I mean, tech industry obviously has a high attrition rate, but in our case, it was more than what the average attrition rate was. So that was the second big problem that we felt. And the third, which which was pretty disturbing is that a lot of the employees had you know reached out to the global leadership and said that they had lost trust in local leadership and and so there was some kind of an employee activism where uh, you know they kind of said we don't trust the leadership anymore and so those were the three major challenges uh, that the board felt that i should immediately uh, resolve. Did you ever even feel, you know, diminution of confidence in terms of can I actually do this? Is it even going to be in my control and in my power to turn some of these ambitious metrics around? As I said, I, I never had the experience to do any of that. And I did speak to a few of my friends and said, you know, do you think I should take this offer? And do you think I can do this? And honestly, the good news was that the board didn't give me any options. So they just asked me to do it. So sometimes when you don't have a plan B, you, you just have to do it. But a few of my friends did say that this could be a, a life-changing moment, you know, if you could pull it off. But I also recognize there's a downside to it because this is going to be an incredibly hard journey. 
you know, I took it, I took it upon myself, but you know, I obviously had to ask my wife and I had a very young son at that time. He was just, I think, if I remember nine to 10 months old, I knew this was a major challenge that I'm taking up. So I asked my wife about it and she said, yeah, let's, you know, do it. Um, she was extremely supportive. So yes, I took up the challenge, uh, relocated to Bangalore and I started my role on 1st of April. 2010 and i jokingly say it was april fools day but uh, you know i don't know whether it was any indication of anything but that i remember that date uh, very very clearly yeah beautiful could you tell us like what are the two or three things you did yeah. which could provide a powerful leadership lesson for our audience because yeah. i know the story has a happy ending but yeah. how did you get there might be even more interesting I think the the first thing I realized was, you know, you have to be very open to share the problem, right? Um, uh, and so what the first activity that I did was reached out to almost 200 employees across across different levels to really understand what is the biggest challenge they are facing. But more importantly, what I did was I reopened the blog. Uh, you know, there was a blog where, you know, there were thousands of comments. Many of them were pretty, uh, you know, not so positive. And I said, let's look at that because maybe the problem lies somewhere there. We'll really know what the people are thinking. And I kind of consolidated the key problems into five actionable areas. And I put it out there all the in front of all the employees and say, I have heard you. I think these are the big things that you were speaking about. But here is the bad news. I don't know how to solve it. But I think we can solve it together. I think that was, for me, the most important step when I look back in retrospect, that I went in with an understanding that the solution can be built together with the employees. So I reached out to the employees and say, we are starting these five projects, but this will be extremely time bound. This is part of my 100 day plan. And, you know, we will solve this problem together. And, and this is a very counterintuitive approach. You know, sometimes we have this superhero thinking in our mind that, you know, you are the CEO, you are the head, you are the managing director, you know all. Uh, I actually flipped it and said, I don't know what the problem is, but I'll be extremely transparent with how we're going to solve it and measure us on the progress against these five projects, which I felt was the most important things that needed immediate attention. So I think that was the first and the most important activity that I did. And, you know, I found so many people volunteering to work together. And, and so you suddenly started getting the energy of the people to solve a problem that that was important for them. That's very beautiful. You know, in business speak, we like to think about this idea of co-creation, right? Yeah, and that, yeah. uh, it's quite clear that you you walked into that space and yeah. allowed them to be deeply invested and contributing. Then we talk about this idea of, you know, distributed leadership, this notion of sort of having leadership be in some ways democratized, you know, because yeah. you never know where the good ideas might come out from, isn't it? Absolutely. And did you actually find that? Did you find that some of the you know insights or breakthroughs came from unexpected places? All the time. In fact, I wouldn't take any credit for any of the ideas that came because it was uh, ideas from the employees. But what was very important as a leader is was to be decisive, right? I mean, you will sometimes get overwhelmed with the number of ideas. But I think the role of a leader is to figure out what is the most important one and be very decisive and execute it. I think execution is so key. And I'll give you two specific examples because I think that will kind of give a context. And the, what I realized was sometimes the best ideas are not the big, earth-shattering, big changes. Sometimes they are the small ones, but they matter a lot, right? So two things I've, I heard constantly as a feedback was that 
SAP as an organization was pretty large and it had become extremely bureaucratic. So a lot of engineers said, you know, I'm spending a lot of time doing things, which is not my core task. You know, I'm, if I'm an engineer, I want to write beautiful code and make great products. But can you help us reduce all the impediments on the way? And so we looked at what are the impediments and we looked at the various processes. And I'll give you one example, which was, which was pretty surprising, but not uncommon. And that was how much time it took for our employees to get their claims reimbursement. You know, this is something that will resonate with anybody who's working in an organization where there is travel involved. And people said it took them six weeks before they got the money back. So if you're doing a travel, you put your claims and then it takes them six weeks on an average to get the money back. Uh, and when I looked at it, I said, wow, that's a lot of time because people are waiting and some of them have large claims because they have made international travels and so on. So we start, we looked at not just this process, but we looked at many processes and we started a project called Challenge One. And we said our objective is to ensure that the process that touches people have the lowest time in terms of the SLA. So we want to bring down the SLA of every process to one day. And so what took six weeks uh, over a period of you know two, three months of various brainstorming and one of the employees came up with this brilliant idea that, yeah, we think we can bring it down to one day. But I had put a boundary condition. I said, you're not going to get more resources. You're not going to get additional budget and you can't break the compliance rules. Figure out how to work within these three constraints. Don't ask me for more money and more people and you can't take shortcuts. And guess what? It was the finance department themselves because they knew what the process was. And they came up and said, yeah, I think we can do this in one day. And nobody would believe this. Right. And I remember launching this and I sending a mail to 5000 employees and I said, you know what? Starting today, if you put a claim, if you raise a claim, you will get the money in your bank within 24 hours and you will get an SMS which says this money has been deposited in your account. And I said, if you don't get it in 24 hours, here is my phone number. Give me a call. Uh, and it was pretty scary, honestly, uh, Professor Itendra, I can tell you. But we had a every morning we used to have a dashboard. We used to look at, OK, there are 500 claims. How many of them did we give it? You know, were we be able to process within 24 hours? And of course, there were some ironing issues and, you know, you had a few that didn't do it. But over a period of time, that became the norm. And it became so popular that, you know, it suddenly reached, you know, the media stories and Times of India called and said, is this true? You know, I hear that you can do a claims processing in one day. What software have you used? I said, we didn't do any new software. It just, you know, cleaned up the process, which was 10 steps to maybe two steps. And that's all we did. And, I, and they said, can we come and test it? I said, test it by asking to any of the 5,000 employees. No problem. You can come and do an interview. The average time at that point, Professor in the industry was four weeks. We did it in one day. And what it did was that it immediately raised the trust of the employees. The employee said, here is a leader who wants to solve our problem. If you look, it was a, you know, we didn't build a new product or anything. We just made, we just removed an impediment and people started believing that, okay, now leadership is working in our interest. So that was probably the simplest thing we did, but also had the highest impact. You know, there are so many lessons just in that story, even though I know you have many other steps you took during that sort of transformation journey as well. You know, I see a little bit of like the Gandhi's Dandi March kind of like, uh, you know, metaphor there of taking something really simple, 
because in his case, the salt and the tax yeah. that the British had imposed on salt, which is giving a lot of pain to people and people think is kind of broadly unfair and it's hurting everyone, including yeah. you know, all the junior most, you know, and et cetera. I'm really serving them through that one pivotal kind yeah. of, if you want to call it um, stance or stand that you take yeah. uh, and committing to kind of like getting, you know, getting to address that, right? Through that pivotal stance, you communicate trust, you communicate servant leader, you know, kind yeah. of an approach. You yeah. also infuse them with a sense of self-efficacy that I can do it, that we can do it, that we can achieve breakthroughs. And if we can do that at small levels, then we could, you know, over time do that at big levels. You know, so I yeah. see uh, the seeds of really great leadership being sown right in that in that moment for us. Um, I want to start transitioning to the other story I want to highlight for our audience. Before we do that, to close this out, could you talk about is there any one other action that is important to highlight that got you to the outcome? And then you could you could you just summarize and close? Yeah. sharing the outcome so i think one was to be you know bold and ambitious so one of the things we did also was we said you know we want to make scp labs a great place to work you know this is annual survey that is done we've been participating for many years we said what does it take to really break into the great place to work survey which is typically around you know between 800 to 1000 companies participate and we want to be playing in the top league so you know i made this bold commitment that we will become the number one in terms of the great place to work over the next few years and that was a bold commitment but so that was very important to keep keep a certain goal which was big which was ambitious which was aspirational uh, and of course, you have to do a lot of things to get there. Uh, so that was really the end game that we were aspiring for. But I'll give you one small instance, which I think is very important, is that when I looked at the attrition numbers, uh, you know, we were in you know higher double digit numbers, but a significant portion of that attrition was because we found that a lot of our women employees, and we had at that time 30% women employees, they were going on maternity leave and not coming back. So they would take a maternity leave, but for whatever reasons, for personal reasons and other things, they were not coming back to SAP. We had an attrition rate of 95% amongst this category who were taking maternity leave. And so it was very interesting that we had this five mothers who came back and said, I would like to work on this problem statement. And the suggestion they gave us, Feroz, can we build a crash within the SAP campus? And SAP campus was you know, large and 23 acres of land and so on. And you know, it looked like a big ask, but we looked at the pros and cons. And you know, after going through a lot of challenges, we actually built a crash for children within the SAP campus, actually just on the boundary of the SAP campus. And guess what, Professor Itindra, in two years time, our attrition went down from 95% to 5%, which means of all the women who went for maternity leave, most of them actually came back and continued working there. And in two years time, we were voted the best place for women to work in the whole country. So that I think was a massive thing to do, which was never heard of in, in Indian multinationals that you build a crash for your employees to keep their children. And many of the mothers said, you know, I work with so, so much of a sense of peace that my productivity has increased. I know during my lunch break, I can go and see my kid and come back. So that was, again, I think a very pivotal moment when I look back. And even now, we all are extremely proud of having done that. Uh, you know, and that was a huge step in including our employees in their holistic journey. It was not just about work, but we also wanted to take care about their families.
Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Inclusion being not just about which voices are heard in the organization, exactly, but exactly. how much of a whole person view we are taking, yeah, supporting yeah. them uh, and yeah. making them uh, feel at peace about their contributions and time and commitments at work. How beautiful! Yeah. And then that quest you were on to catapult SAP to the top echelons of great place to work uh, yeah. for women, but also more broadly, just overall, where did you end up on that? So in 2012, which was when we were aspiring to be number one, we were 23 out of 800 companies, but we were the first first time we broke into the top 25. They only give a ranking of 25. So we broke into that into 2012. In 2013, we were, if I remember, we were number five. And in 2015, we became number one. Right. So, and, and in the last three years, we've been either number one or number two, great place to work in India. Yeah, great. And I think it's time to turn our attention to another chapter and um, track that you're on in your life, which yeah. I think began somewhere in the midst of all of this craziness and adventure that yeah. you were on. And so what was that moment where something happened in your life that woke you up to um, a different reality? You're right. I mean, this was deeply intertwined with my journey that I shared in the first part. So, you know, April 2010, I take over this MD role. I have this ambitious 100-day plan and we're doing a lot of stuff. And in I think it was in the month of June or July that I had gone out for a dinner and through a conversation, uh, you know, somebody pointed out to me that my son may have uh, some challenges because he was, you know, really not making eye contact. He was at that time just 15 months old uh, and we didn't see any challenge in him he had you know his, his development and growth was you know as expected uh, but one of my friends noticed that he was not making eye contact and he was kind of doing the same things over and over again he was looking at things that were constantly rotating and during that conversation he said maybe you should take him to a doctor and check if he has any issues and i said what do you mean and he said no maybe you should check if he's on the autism spectrum while i took it seriously i really didn't think he meant it that way but i went home and really checked what is autism like we all do right we have dr google as our first uh, reach before we reach any actual doctor we look at uh, google and said so i really looked up what is autism and then i you know internet has these simple ways to check if there is any any issue so i looked at all the behavior of young kids who could be autistic and uh, you know i was taken aback that actually my son was showing many of them in very subtle manners and so i told my wife i think it's not a bad idea let's go to a doctor and check him out and and so that started a journey which which took almost three months of going from one doctor to the other, from one specialist to the other, from one therapist to the other. And finally, you know, the doctor actually gave us a diagnosis and official diagnosis. He said, he's on the autism spectrum. This is a condition for life, but you know, with therapies, you could see great improvements. And he was too young to, for, he said, we don't know what level he's, you know, is he a mild or mildly autistic? Is he severely autistic? He said, time will tell, but get on to, you know, some therapies immediately. And I remember that moment, you know, on one side, I was riding this high of this great so-called, you know, success where the world sees a success of, you know, running this large organization, trying to turn it around. And on the personal side, I was shattered. You know, he was my only son. 
and and they said it was a condition for life and and so what seemed like a perfect well crafted life where you know you i was very fortunate i married i married my college sweetheart and so you've kind of got this idea of what a perfect life could be and suddenly it seems to all go out of the window in just a moment and you know i remember going to reaching home after that diagnosis of my son going home locking myself in the bathroom and crying and i said you know there there goes my perfect life uh, and i really had no understanding of how to handle it you know like everybody who goes through this i went through my initial reaction of denial to going through depression in the sense that you know i i was struggling with myself why did this happen to me what have i done wrong uh, you know how do i handle this what do i do and and so that process was uh, was incredibly painful so that i think was a huge moment in my life being you know him being diagnosed my son vivan being diagnosed with uh, autism yeah well thank you for sharing that feroz um, i i i've heard the story from you and yet you know every time you take me back there take us back there i um, yeah i feel very stirred from within you know i i step into your shoes uh, your wife's shoes i step into that frame that you've described which i think so many of us can relate to that we have this you know just we we have we have our own assumption of what like the ideal life and the good life is about and we're all trying to control control yeah. you know all of the factors in our life to to get it to conform to our vision to our view and yet sometimes life just throws us a wild card so um in that moment there was some disappointment some you know perhaps worry some despair but it then went to another place what was that trigger that took you to another place i struggled with this for maybe a month or so you know and it was it was funny that people react to the circumstances very differently my wife was actually pretty strong she was you know up and running the next day she was like okay what do we do next and i was not able to let go i was still kind of stuck in my old place of why me right why did this happen and you know what does the future look like but i think there was one uh, conversation with my mentor dr kiran bedi uh, who's a very well known uh, person uh, in india and around the world that really pivoted me to a completely different action and state of mind more importantly and during this course of conversation i i really broke down uh, and i said you know ma'am uh, you know vivan is diagnosed with autism i really don't know what to do and then she said something incredibly profound which allowed me to see the situation completely differently and she said feroz most people spend their entire lifetime not knowing what their purpose is you are incredibly fortunate that you found your purpose through vivan and what she meant was she was saying see you are you are a very fortunate person you are in a position of power and authority and you have the financial means and you have the network and and as a father i'm sure you will do everything to take care of your son and that is what every parent in the world would do but how do you use the situation that you are in to not just make a difference for your son but others who are less fortunate so i said make this your purpose for life obviously your primary responsibility is to take care of your son but use your position and your network and your influence to change and make the world a better place for many other kids like vivan who are less fortunate and i don't know for, for you know when i heard that in my mind it was like a switch going you know completely turning it on and suddenly from seeing myself as a victim of the situation i started seeing myself as somebody who could be a change agent for this particular challenge or for you know for all of this for a larger good 
and and the reality is i really didn't know what to do i mean while this sounded great but what do you do and and you know and so for my real journey started then where i was trying to understand what is the problem not just with autism which started with autism but i was trying to understand the landscape in india and what is it that i can contribute in a meaningful manner so the journey of discovery really started after that phone call even then as i said i didn't know what to do like everybody else i was watching all the ted talks and talking to people and trying to understand uh, and i was in a journey of discovery for the next few months yeah i want to continue with your narrative on that journey yeah. rose what happened next how did you take this um, you know aspirational and intriguing sort of invitation that you got from her and translate it into something practical so i think the journey from then still continues and you know this is way back in 2010 it's been almost a decade since i've been in this journey and you know there have been a lot of uh, highs and lows but it's beyond doubt the most fulfilling part of my life the most meaningful part of my life has been the last decade but i'll tell you a few highlights in that journey the first of course uh, you know i reached out to a lot of parents who were in a similar situation like me and and i asked them the same question what is the biggest uh, worry that you have what is the biggest challenge that you have and these were all parents who had uh, you know uh, autistic kids or special needs children and uh, after speaking to many of them i realized almost all of them were fundamentally talking about just one issue and that was they said we don't know what to do after we are gone uh, who will take care of our child uh, what future does he hold and that seemed to be a uniform thread across all the parents that i spoke to and so i kind of went a step deeper in fact i i, I remember this conversation with a with a parent who said something that really broke my heart uh, you know he said for us my wish is to live one day more than my child uh, and i think that was the most painful statement i have ever heard i mean no parent wants to live one more one day more than their child and the reason he was saying that is i don't know what to do you know where will i leave my kid who will take care of him and so for me that was the thing that i was trying to understand and you know find some way forward and what i realized especially with children on the autism spectrum and i'm using the word children of course they could be adults on the autism spectrum also but i'm just using that as uh, a uh, paraphrasing right now is that you know many of them are pretty gifted and they can do a few things very well but most of them have two challenges which are universal i would say one is many of them have communication challenges so you know their you know communication is not perfect and the other is that uh, they are not very social so these were basically the two challenges that most people on the spectrum have and this is what my son today has as well he's now 11 years old he's non verbal 30% of the children who are autistic are non verbal and of course they are very non social they like to be amongst themselves so these were two issues and because of these two challenges we realized that many of them and the statistics at least in the us is that more than 92% of them are not meaningfully employed so there's a huge population of people who are on the autism spectrum and the data shows it's 1 in 65 right now and it's getting much higher right now in terms of the number of cases so imagine if you have such a large population of people who are on the autism spectrum most of them are not gainfully employed that becomes the biggest worry of many of the parents that these kids grow up to adults and they are never independent 
and you know one thing led to the other and uh, and i happened to meet a danish entrepreneur his name is uh, thorkel sonner uh, and he had the same situation he had a, he had a, his son was autistic and he said you know if nobody gives him a job maybe i will so he started a company which employed only people on the autism spectrum and this was not a non profit this was a for profit social enterprise and he grew that to almost 100 employees in denmark 80 of them or 80% of them were people on the autism spectrum the remaining 20 were so called neurotypical who managed these 80 of them and he found out that they could actually differentiate their business because they were hiring people on the autism spectrum because they brought in unique strengths that others didn't and i was blown away by this idea i said wow so you are actually hiring autistic people because they are better than the others at least in some aspects and i was so excited that i you know i asked my uh, executive assistant and said let's go to denmark so <laughs> so we actually flew to denmark and spent a couple of days trying to understand what was he trying to do and you know i came back and i told that let's hire people on the autism spectrum and people were like you know is this real i mean you know most of the people whom we looked at in the community didn't have a college degree uh, they mostly had you know education only up to middle school or high school so how do we hire these employees who are on the autism spectrum on to sap when they don't have the skills to do it and that's where we realized that if you focus on a specific task and in this case we looked at software testing as a task that people on the spectrum could do way better than the others because they had they could focus on a specific task they could do the same things over and over again without getting bored and they had very high level of accuracy and luckily i had a team of uh, a large team of software testers so i actually hired three employees on the autism spectrum as i said they had no college degrees but they joined sap and over 18 months actually proved that people on the autism spectrum whom we had hired were better than my engineers they had higher accuracy rate they never got bored and funnily enough they would want to work on weekends because they didn't understand why should we not work on saturday sundays right and they had great attitude and very interestingly the teams team that they worked in they saw a massive spike in engagement and i am not saying this is purely because of that but there was clear indications that hiring these people also increased the morale of the overall team so that was i think one of the most breakthrough things that happened and then what happened was i i would clearly say was nothing but a series of coincidences i spoke about it at the world economic forum uh, you know our ceos heard about this initiative at sap labs india and then in uh, 2012 uh, 2013 sap made this bold commitment that will hire 1% of our global workforce with people on the autism spectrum uh, and that i think was one of the most landmark announcements ever made by a corporate for a uh, disadvantaged part of the community uh, and it's been one of the biggest successes success stories of sap and i think one of my personal high point was in 2019 the best innovator award which is typically given only to either an individual or a team out of 100000 employees it's called the hasso platner founders award at sap it's like the oscars at sap it was won by one employee who was hired as part of the autism program so you mean um, this employee was given that award because of some uh, innovation that he had done yes uh, he was from the finance department and he built a he built a product which dramatically reduced the processing time 
of many of the financial documents and you know across all the competition his idea was considered the best not just the idea he implemented it yeah. uh, himself uh, he was a he is an employee from our office in argentina yeah. uh, so you see what started in labs bangalore is now across more than 150 companies have implemented their own autism at work program and the employee who got the opportunity was in argentina i mean i would have never thought that a small act of hiring three employees would have such a massive ripple effect oh, that's so beautiful that's so beautiful i think this consciousness is starting to grow isn't it in, uh, yeah. in the business world is still at the early stage but it's starting to grow and yeah. people like you are at the forefront of actually building that bridge between the kind of world that we all aspire to operate in and create and the kind of world we live in today you're helping us build that bridge and, and that is thank so you. powerful you know i, I thank think you. Uh, thank uh, you. i'm so grateful for the example that you set for all of us so uh, how is it going for you in your own personal journey between your wife and you and your son it is uh, you know let's not take away the part that you know i always say there are the day to day struggles as i said he's now 11 years old he's non verbal Uh, but our biggest challenge is to really understand what's going in his mind because he's not able to express himself and that creates a lot of frustration but uh, you know one of the reasons i moved to the us a few years back was to provide him with a better education so touchwood uh, he's doing he's doing well his health has improved he's now on sixth standard and he communicates through his mother and me so me and my wife is kind of his communication partner he's able to communicate by what we call as using a letter board so he can point at alphabets and share his thoughts and it's just incredible how amazing he is and his cognitive ability is just out of the world and we never knew that you know now he's able to write sentences and it's just amazing how he's able to think in extremely profound ways for a kid of his age but we are only able to know that because now he's able to at least express himself in a few words so we are grateful professor that you know life has been kind to us so i think he's doing well well touch wood grateful thank you uh, there's something beautiful you mentioned once that your wife said <laughs> to you about yeah, yeah. You know, your role and her role and how you sort of like uh, divide and conquer <laughs> yeah i think this was you know one of those moments right uh, professor in our life when we struggle hard sometimes we think that you know this is too hard this is where you know can you continue on this journey for a long time and 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 she said something very profound she said feroz you know why don't you change the world for vivan while i change vivan for the world and it came from a place where you know she was also very successful at sap and she spent a decade at sap but she gave up everything to take care of of my son and i recognized the fact that it was actually way harder for her than it was for me i was still you know working at sap and doing a lot of things but she had to give up on a lot of her uh, ambitions to take care of the, of my son luckily she's got back to now a uh, work right now but you know you kind of have to look at it from two sides but also come together so i make it a point today that i am an integral part of his classroom activities you have to contribute in equal measure but maybe you look at one aspect more deeply and she is looking at the other aspect more deeply but uh, you know i have great great regard for what she has done and what she continues to do and so but we sometimes come from two different directions as long as we meet together and have a common understanding i think that's something uh, which is what we are always striving to you know it's never perfect uh, always more to do and uh, 
I always say when people say such glowing things about me, I I keep saying, you just why don't you validate with my wife? She will not necessarily agree <laughs> to most of it, but I I think she's been a great great partner in this journey. That's beautiful. Thank you. I want to step back a little bit from the personal sort of experiences that you have so beautifully and heartfelt way and an open way, you know, shared with us here today. And I want to have us reflect a little bit on how you have gotten there. Because while you mentioned the conversation with you know Dr. Kiran Bedi as pivotal in opening your mind up, I have known you for all these years, and I have seen a certain quality in you, which is that you are deeply steeped in certain ideas and convictions. You are not ossified, and you are not paralyzed from growth because one of those. ideas that you are deeply steeped in is of humble curiosity to always keep questioning and learning and discovering and evolving so that itself is a part of those deep convictions yeah. but i've seen you every time you speak every time you engage not just in the public moments like today or in my class but even in the off stage backstage private moments you're always drawing your energy from that place of deep and clear convictions and i want to ask you that um, where does that come from who were the early shapers that influenced your path made you recognize the power of authenticity the power of introspection the power of integration between action third thoughts and words thank you for asking that because uh, i think this is such a powerful question and when i look back at my journey you know i am who i am largely because of my upbringing and you know my parents obviously a lot of people have played a very important role in that journey but when i look back i think the idea of being curious and the idea of giving are probably the two most integral aspects that i've learned from my parents and i'll give you two specific examples why i'm saying that you know my dad started off in indian railways at at the early level of his career you know he retired he won a national award for you know one of the top uh, engineers uh, he's then he retired and he's 78 years old now and he runs a hospital a school and uh, a college in his native village all as a service to give back he's 78 years old and i can tell you i wish i was as energetic as him when i grew 78 he is super busy uh, he's always trying a way to serve the community and all of this he's not doing to make money or anything he's all doing this to serve the community and so when i have that benchmark you know i i haven't even started about what is possible right and he's so incredibly young almost everybody tells me how's your dad so fit so young and you know every time i ask him he says a very simple statement he says when you give more you live more ah it's beautiful and and so what i have seen him do and this is not just i've seen him now he's always been like that and both i remember one conversation very profoundly when i was growing up you know my dad and mom was having a conversation at night and they were extremely worried because they didn't have enough money to pay to make the wedding of a maid servant so there was a servant used to work at her home and you know the, they had a young daughter and she wanted to get her married and my parents were discussing how do we raise the funds money to get that daughter of the servant married and you know those are the conversations i've grown up with right they never differentiated who's who 
and so giving has been a very integral part of the dna that i have seen and so maybe i lean towards that idea all the time and maybe i'll close this with one thing that i always say when dr kalam was you know a former president he was asked what is your definition of a leader and i think that was the most simple statement i've ever heard he said a leader always asks a question what can i give what can i give what can i give so it does resonates with me that the whole idea when you give more you not only live more but you also get more right and 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 if you do it in a way which is which is pure i think purity of intent is incredibly important in that in, in it's not about just giving and signing checks and so on but how pure is your intent and it can be extremely small forms of giving so i think that has played a huge influence in my life uh, professor Yeah thank you thank you how instructive how beautiful i mean just so many you know thoughts uh coming to my mind as i connect what you're saying to our curriculum you know that we teach in leadership um you know but just one one quick thing that i want to sort of like connect the dots on is um you know ashoka right uh, in, in india has is a very beloved um, you know icon from history of the past and uh some of his symbology you know that he propagated across the country is there in india's national flag as well so he's yeah. very memorialized and revered in india yeah and uh, and yet you know i think you know and i know from our history that he killed a lot of his uh, brethren to be able to yeah. make to the throne and he ended up sort of uh, you know killing some more to get more and more land and more and more conquest in the way that you know society at that time used to think like great kings should do and then he had that turning point and after that turning point i think one of the key things was exactly what you said he came to the view that power is not meant to be an instrument through which to rule over people but an instrument through which to maximize your service to people absolutely and that's what you've shared that you've learned from your father and your mother thank you yeah thank you. you also talked about the power of those um dinner time conversations that were happening for observing maybe not participating but something was being absorbed some energy yeah. some spirit was being absorbed let's all be mindful of those conversations that happen on our own dinner table as we are silently through our own examples and thoughts shaping the values of the next generation isn't it yes absolutely Uh, what you said was so profound and and i i think i sh- i'll come back to this whole idea that sometimes you know i i say that success is overrated because it's very singular right um we we think that the individual is successful which means that oh feroz is successful but people don't realize there are so many people who've contributed to that person's journey right so success is never singular even though many of us make it to be very singular i think it's a collective it's a process it's a journey and everybody has contributed a little bit to making who you are and i think once you recognize that success is not entirely yours is actually you know the whole idea of a self-made man is so <laughs> so overblown i think there is nobody who is self-made because you are because of all the experiences that you had so i always say no, never get too excited with you know all the all the highs because it's not you alone and also not to get too depressed when things don't go right because it's not you either right and i think the bhagavad gita professor says this idea of equanimity right to yeah. to not take those highs too seriously and not to take those lows as entirely your fault i think if you can manage a little, little uh, a bit of equanimity uh, you know you can sail through a lot of lot of life thank you you've uh, cited uh, a remarkable text
that is uh, a great instruction manual for life and for leadership. And that's a beautiful thought, uh, yet again. So I want to kind of, as we start closing operas, highlight the continued engagement you're having with the issues of our time and yeah. the um, opportunity that you're providing us through your curious mind to learn some new, fresh perspectives on how to engage in a moment of besiegement, if you want to call it, with this coronavirus age. Yeah. Can you point for a moment to the reflections and writing that you're doing in Forbes and Medium to put yeah. more of your thinking out there? Because I think it will benefit a lot of us. I think we, we are living in you know very challenging times. And as a technologist, I'll, I'll probably leave just one, one key insight for all the listeners. I think my take is that the biggest challenge uh, that will come out of this particular crisis is that the inequality levels will increase. I think, and you can see that with all the data, the rich is becoming richer, poor is becoming poorer. And so you see a wider divide in the society, which I think can create some social unrest and other issues. And so we should be extremely careful of what we are seeing right now. And a lot of the people whom I speak to are technologists, and most of them think the solution to all these problems is better technology. You know, they think that AI is a holy grail that will solve all problems. And I'll go back to what Gandhiji said way back in the 1940s. He said that, you know, you have to be grounded in strong moral values, right? If technology is not grounded on strong moral values and purity of intent, uh, the technology is not going to solve the problem. So while all the technology tools we speak about of AI and all the new things are incredibly powerful, but I think we should never underestimate that what is most important in today's time is leadership, which is grounded in strong moral, moral values and pure people, you having a high purity of intent. You know, intention matters. If you build technology on top of, you know, bad moral values and not so great intent, we may not necessarily solve any of the issues of the world. Uh, so I would, I would, you know, request everybody to be on a journey of discovery. This has never happened before. So there is no blueprint of how to get out of the, the pandemic. I think we'll all have to go deep inside ourselves to find the solution. Thank you, Feroz. That is a powerful and thought-provoking invitation to give all of us to go on a continual, never-ending process of uh, discovery. I remember another quote from Gandhi. He said, um, live as though you'll die tomorrow, but learn as though you will live forever. Thank and I think you epitomize that. You epitomize that with all that you do. So grateful Thank to have you. you with us here today. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for Thank the you. work you do, the life Thank you do, the example you set, and the teaching that you brought to us today. Thank you. Thank oh. you, Professor Itendra. It's an honor to be part of your show. Um, and I, I wish all the listeners uh, good health and, you know, to work to their maximum potential. All the best to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for us. 